The rise of David stokes jealousy in King Saul. Jealousy that turns into plotting violence against the next king of Israel. On The Bible Brief. Pick up your Bible and read along with us today. Learning happens better with a Bible in your hand. Saul could hear the music and the tambourines. He could see the dancing, the singing, and the joy in Israel as he traveled through the towns on his way back to Gibeah. The Philistines had faced an incredible defeat, starting with the felling of their champion Goliath. And by all accounts, Saul should have been overjoyed at the great victory for Israel in that day. But he couldn't get the song that they were singing out of his mind, especially a particular lyric. The mothers, wives, and daughters in the cities were all singing the same phrase as they welcomed their men back from battle. They were singing, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Goliath had been taunting the camp of Israel, and now that he was dead, the taunts to Saul came in a new form. A challenge seemingly undergirding the lyric, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. They were calling Saul weak compared to David. They were calling their own king, who had led them for years, an ineffective leader compared to David. He said to himself, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The women in all the villages weren't the only ones celebrating David either. In fact, David had gained a new best friend from his interaction with Goliath. Saul's son Jonathan had seen what David did to that giant, and he was surely reminded of that time when he had defeated the Philistines as well. Months, perhaps years ago, he had told his own armor-bearer that Yahweh can save by many or by few. And just as God had defeated the Philistines using Jonathan's surprise attack, so here in the valley, God had used a single man, David, to strike fear into the Philistine army, setting the stage for a great victory. Jonathan saw David's courage and saw faith, and Jonathan loved David. That was a man he could follow to the ends of the earth and die for. That was what a king of Israel should do in front of his army, and it was plain for all to see. So plain that Jonathan essentially gives up his potential claim on the throne of Israel after his father Saul. Just as Saul had tried to give his royal armor to David before his battle with Goliath, well now, Jonathan actually gives his royal armor to David after the battle's complete. Jonathan even makes a loyalty covenant with David, where each of the men promises total devotion to one another for the rest of their lives. Jonathan, whether he knows God's choice of David as the next king or not, nevertheless recognizes God's blessing upon David, and he aligns himself with David even if it might cost his loyalty to his own father, Saul. Jonathan and David would be the best of friends and loyal covenant keepers for the rest of their lives. However long those might be, because Saul soon began plotting against David. We read this in 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 10. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. 
Saul was afraid of David because Yahweh was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed David from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand soldiers. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for Yahweh was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of David. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Saul's condition appears to be shriveling as David's fame is blossoming. The day after this great victory against the Philistines, the king of Israel even goes so far as to try to kill this new hero of Israel. Twice, he tries to fatally pin David to the wall with his spear, but each time David evades the king's attempt. Miraculous evasion that was apparently evidence of God's protection of David against Saul. Soon, Saul's fear of David motivates him to remove David from his home, to instead become a commander of a unit of soldiers, an opportunity that Yahweh uses to further bless David with success and victory for Israel. Despite Saul's best efforts, David's ascension in Israel can't be stopped. But that doesn't mean Saul stops trying. Who better than to cause David's downfall than a woman and the Philistines? We read this, starting in verse 20. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Saul tries two new tactics for causing the downfall of David. First, he uses his daughter Michael to be a snare to David in marriage to him. Apparently, Saul knew of his daughter's tendency toward idolatry, and he figured that she might lead David astray in his devotion to Yahweh alone. Michael loved David, and David returned her affections. And here, Saul saw opportunity. Saul's second tactic was a derivation of the first. Rather than simply giving his daughter to David as appeared to be initially indicated, Saul says that the price of marrying Michael would be 100 foreskins of Philistines. Saul hopes that this price will get David killed, as he would have to take on a large group of Philistines in order to marry his daughter. Yet what we read is this. Before the time had expired, David arose and went, along with his men, and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that Yahweh was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy, continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. 
It's like whatever Saul does. He can't stop the rise of David. The people love him, Jonathan loves him, Michael loves him, and he continued to succeed in battles against the Philistines. David is the unstoppable force, and Saul, for all his effort, is trying to be the immovable object. Despite God's judgment upon Saul that the kingdom would be taken from him and given to this man after God's heart, Saul still resists the inevitable, and he would continue resisting. Soon, Saul commands Jonathan and his servants within his household that they should kill David when given the chance. But Jonathan is able to dissuade his father from this rash action. Jonathan's affection for David and his sense of the injustice in his father's request make him remind his father of the joy that he'd had when Goliath was defeated by David. Further, he said that David is innocent of anything that would require his death. It's with Jonathan's voice of reason that Saul is temporarily convinced to reconcile himself with David and David's successes. So much so, that David's again invited to be in Saul's presence again at his home. This, however, is short-lived. We read this in chapter 19, starting in verse 8. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded David so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the idol was in the bed and the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me thus, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go, why should I kill you? Despite his initial reconciliation to David, Saul goes right back into the same irrational behavior as soon as war with the Philistines breaks out again. God soon sends the harmful spirit upon Saul again, and Saul is enraged at David. Saul sends a spear flying at David for a third time, and David yet again evades this fatal blow. This time, though, Saul presses forward with plans to kill David the next morning and leaves watchers outside of his house to ensure David's whereabouts. However, David's wife Michael makes a deception, allowing David to escape the house and eventually the area. David is long gone by the time Saul discovers that the sick David in bed is actually a household idol of Michael's. Saul's plans have been foiled. But next we read this. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to the prophet Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they also prophesied. 
Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, Is Saul also among the prophets? Saul's first encounter with Samuel is similar to his last. Both involved the Spirit of God coming upon Saul, causing him to prophesy. The first time, though, it was in confirmation of his kingdom calling and anointing by Samuel. The last time, it was in protection of David and the rejection of Saul. Saul has even caused the embarrassment of being completely naked before the other Israelites at Ramah, a humiliation accompanying the removal of his leadership from Israel. But this account isn't merely about Saul. It's about God. This is perhaps the clearest signal in the story of Saul and David to help us see that the preservation of David isn't necessarily due to David's skill in battle or his quickness at evading spears. It's because of God's supernatural protection of his anointed king. God is protecting David, and if that means sending his spirit upon messengers and upon Saul, then that's what God does. Saul's rage is no match for God's power a power that extends to all aspects of life and all areas of human conduct. God has made his choice, and despite Saul's resistance, David would come to the throne of Israel. David is the anointed king, and when the time is right, David will rise. That time, however, won't be without an incredibly trying time for David. David would soon be a fugitive, a warrior king in exile, a man on the run, running to places that no Israelite would dare to find refuge. Join us next time as David is on the run to the most unlikely places, while Saul's rage turns into devastation, not for a Canaanite town, but for a town in Israel. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023